0: Conversations that you connect with and react to. SAFM.
1: Well, let's get straight into our conversation for this hour. Let me invite onto the show Khotso Skuman, who is the CEO of Kahiso Capital. Mr. Skuman, good morning.
0: Good morning, Kathy.
1: How are you, Kathy? I'm well, thank you. Thank you so much for your time this morning. Konehadi Gugushe is the head of social investing at First Rand Limited. Good morning. Uh,
2: Good morning, Kathy.
1: And Ernest Fonseil is the head of public relations at Afroforum. Ernest, good morning. Good morning, Ernest.
3: Good
1: morning, Kathy. You oh, hear fantastic! Me? Yes, now Thanks. I can hear you. Great. Oh, 100%. Sure. Thank you so much for being part of this conversation as well. I think a good place to start it off would perhaps really to go back and and ask ourselves what is it um, regarding broad based black economic empowerment that has worked, and I think most importantly that has not worked because that becomes the only avenue that we can. Build better for the future. Khozo, the thinking by Kahiso Capital in initiating this conversation, and I'm particularly interested in your theme, the bittersweet reality, because really that that has been the reality of broad-based black economic empowerment. Some have benefited, some have not, which is why it becomes bittersweet.
0: Yes, Kath. Thank you very much, Kath. Kath, the reason why we we convened the, this this conversation, um, it, it, and and with the theme of Better sweet reality, firstly, I think we wanted to create a safe space for us to to be, for once, be honest to ourselves and reflect on on where we are in as in as far as bees concerned, particularly around the issue you of know, the issue of ownership, because that was the the big the big focus of the of the seminar. But we also wanted to, to remind ourselves that, that the, the commitment to build an inclusive economy remains in this country. And the big concern for us was that there's been a, a lot of conversations that are happening on the sides, right? Uh, where you have views of people that say, look, we must scrap the policy because the policy hasn't worked. And you have views of people that are saying, the policy must continue, status quo must continue in an environment where a lot of people feel they have not been taken on board to be part of of benefiting in the transformation of this economy. And that was one of the reasons why we really wanted to convene this. We also wanted to to make people to to engage a little bit with the conversation around the impact that broad-based trusts and, and the black industrialists have in building an inclusive society particularly in an environment where there was a conversation that broad-based trust uh, are not recognized as ownership structures and for us i think broad-based trust to date are probably the entities which have created value and reinvested what they have created in communities through education a job creation and enterprise development in in communities The the last issue, why we wanted to convene this, we wanted to have a conversation around if if there is a third wave, how would the third wave look like? Would we do be the way we've been doing it for the past 20 years? Or is there a a new way of us thinking, how do we make this process far more inclusive? And that's really the reasons why we wanted to convene business uh, and government and civil society around reflecting on where we are and we particularly wanted to put numbers behind the conversation because in many a times when we talk BEE, I think it becomes quite a, an emotional conversation, but not back with real numbers on where we are in as far as ownership is concerned.
1: Khotso, I'm going to go back to sort of the, the first part of your statement and you emphasized the need for honesty around this conversation. Do you feel that it has not been honest? And in particular where is that dishonesty sort of coming from i
0: yeah, I think for example we we we've not we've not had the conversation and reflecting on 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 the numbers for example let me give you a sense one of our speakers who really did some work around the numbers indicated that the South African economy owned by South Africans stood at about four trillion right um and 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 the numbers that in indicate what's what's in black hands is probably anything between 400 and 500 billion right that means that 3.5 trillion is probably still sitting in white hands and and i think that the intention was if if that is what we've achieved is that good enough right if we had to reset reset what what target and what goal would we set ourselves in as far as transferring of ownership is concerned that is the one part the second part is that some value has been created in black hands right and if the numbers are correct anything between 100 and 200 billion and and i think the view is and and this is our view if if there is a third wave we need to begin to ask the question, how do you make value that in black hands to to become the catalyst of the next wave? So that there can be a direct link between having created value in black hands and making the value created to really drive the next wave of, of inclusive economic development.
1: Konehali, uh, I want to bring you in here. And, you know, this issue of being able to quantify um, just what the effect of Triple BEE has been um, and and even to, to track sort of the, the progress of, of a policy of this nature, it seems to be quite difficult to do. Why do you think that is the case? Uh, good morning, Kathy, and thank you
2: very much for having us. Um, I think I'd just like to... Uh, firstly, um, just give some input uh, from what Khotso was talking about uh, on why we, as uh, the first Rand Empowerment Foundation, thought that, thought that this was an important conversation. Uh, because I think as a society, for us to be able to move forward in um, inclusivity, in trying to transform um our economy and the structure of our economy, uh, it's important for us to have these honest conversations. And uh, the question that you're asking about, um, you know, the difficulty of quantifying the impact um, is that I think firstly, really the the need to change our society uh, is really so big. And And therefore, up until we can see Um, visible, real transformation in terms of changing uh, of uh, not only ownership patterns, but uh, economic benefit. Uh, The the levels of inequality in our country still remain very high. And therefore that's that's one of the things that make it quite difficult to uh, really see the impact of um, any changes that have been made uh, since the change of uh, 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 the dispensation. With the wave of BEE, yes, we recognize that there has been some economic uh, benefits that have been realized by Black people, but we feel that this has not been enough. This has not been widespread enough uh, to be able to give this impact or effect of real uh, transformation and participation in the economy. So up until we actually have black people feeling that uh, they are equal participants in the in the economy, that uh, they are enjoying uh, um you know the the levels of um of 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 growth. Um, within their
1: own personal uh, circumstances, we are we still have a very long way to go. And and how wide, Gona would you say that we cast that net? Right, because depending on who you're speaking to, there are. Very much a group of elites in this country that have benefited quite significantly from policies such as Triple BEE, and and the reason I'm asking this is because there was a lot that was um, emphasis that was placed on on ownership, and again going back to this idea of a black industrialist and the need to create black industrialists, um, and and so mm-hmm. when again we track that progress, we track that that value, um, at at which point do you say that the value has to go? Beyond a certain social, economic, and even political elite, in order to say that it's truly, um, you know, m- making the the kind of impact and gaining the kind of ground that that was envisioned.
2: Mm. So we, I mean, uh, really believe in uh, the philosophies of uh, the broad. Based uh, BEE, so the broad basedness of um, of it, I think, is very important, and it therefore cannot be the benefits cannot be confined to uh, a few elites, and um, I think. You know, at the beginning of uh, the BEE wave, you know, the first wave, I think, very much uh, was centered around um, identified, um, you know, what you would call uh, um, the elites. But um, with the introduction of board-based trusts and, you know, um, certain um, ownership schemes that really tried to activate and include um, a much more wider uh, uh, participation from uh, different sectors of the economy. We think that uh, certainly the the benefits of BEE must be felt by the broader the broader society, and that's why for us, um, you know, as a broad based trust, we really believe that uh, broad based trusts should be recognised uh, uh, as as ownership um, uh, uh, entities, and should be recognised in terms of the work that they do in contributing towards. Uh, societal upliftment that is not only confined to just uh, a few individuals, but really can be enjoyed uh, by, by the broader populace. And by doing that, I think we will be able to um, really raise the, the, the level of whether it is social infrastructure that is available or it is participation by uh, different uh, levels of society enabled by the economic benefits that are realized by these uh, uh, broad-based economic uh, transformation uh, entities. We really need to cast the net as wide as we can. And up until the broader society can feel the 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 uplift in terms of standard of
1: standard of living, economic participation, we cannot say that enough has been done. Mm. And this is really, I suppose, the next part of of, of the conversation where uh, things tend to become emotive, um, as 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 Khotso was saying earlier, Ernest. And and this is really around the role of race when we're dealing with policies such as Triple BEE. As Afroforum, you of course have a particular view. Hello, Ernest? All right. It looks like we're just not having a steady connection um, to Ernest van Zyl, who is the head of public relations at AfroForum. I mentioned earlier that they've been, of course, Involved in a court action, in particular, against government and its criteria around the distribution of the tourism fund that was launched um, to to support those in the sector uh, following the impact of COVID nineteen. So, Ernest, I understand you're back on the line now. I was asking yes. you about, um, you know, the fact that the issue of race is really where. Uh, the conversation around broad-based economic empowerment becomes quite emotive. And this is whether it's, uh, you know, you're talking to people who support the policies or who don't support the policy. Uh, Speak to us about Afroforum's view.
3: Right. Uh, So, yeah, uh, I'm glad that we could reconnect uh, or uh, get the connection working here again. So, uh, firstly, I would just like to use the opportunity again to thank uh, Kagiso Capital and the Kagiso Trust for inviting Apri forum to this uh, event, I think it was a very productive conversation. The feedback uh, afterwards was amazing. Uh, the amount of business cards that I uh, that I handed out was uh, it uh, was a really positive uh, response that we had. I think that's at the core of it. Is the fact that this is a clear indication that the conversation surrounding race-based policies is opening. It's uh, opening up to critical voices, but critical voices that want to make a positive contribution. So maybe just to uh, explain uh, where that criticism or those, uh, the, the critical stance of Africa Forum comes from, we should be careful not to uh, conflate uh, black economic empowerment, the policy with just the idea of empowering people. Uh, the one On the one side, you have capitalized, BEE, and on the other side, you just have the ideal of empowering South Africans. And the AfriForum Forum is absolutely in favor of empowering South Africans. We have no stance that says that we are against uh, empowering any group uh, in South Africa. That's why when given this opportunity to speak at this event, um our presentation was completely focused on solutions and this was specifically why alternative solutions and this was specifically because the BE commissioner was there and in his uh, opening remarks he said that people often don't uh put any alternative solutions on the table and that's been exactly uh what apri forum did and maybe just to quickly without going into all the details uh, name some of those solutions so the first solution is uh, on an education level. Uh, In South Africa, currently, uh, education is in a a very bad state This I don't think anyone can deny. But at the same time, um, there's an emphasis in our education system on creating job seekers rather than creating job creators. And I think that shift, that mindset shift, uh, is very important. I remember in my own experience uh, in school that I was always... Uh, told or or educated on how to be a job seeker rather than a job creator. And that needs to change. That philosophy of what type of students are we sending into the world uh, needs to change, where emphasis is placed on how are you a job creator, not just a job seeker. Another thing that I think is very important is a a mindset shift away from uh, uh, excluding people or uh, uh taking away from people or uh, a negative mindset to a positive mindset of we have a certain uh, amount of resources and that amount of resources or that pie needs to be expanded so more opportunities need to be created more uh, more uh, economic growth needs to be created we cannot have the conversation or the debate constantly focusing just on how to redistribute or uh, redistribute a shrinking pie, we have to focus on expanding those opportunities, expanding that pie. And you only do that through the creation of new companies, helping young entrepreneurs, helping uh, and promoting policies that help the economy grow. And the the last uh, solution that I want to touch on that I mentioned at the the conference or at the seminar was the emphasis on mother tongue education. South Africa, there's a massive uh, lack of focus on promoting mother tongue uh, uh, mother opportunities to be educated in mo- in, in your mother tongue uh, that's one of the reasons why for example Afrikaans speakers are so uh, adamant about their children being educated in Afrikaans because every single study shows being educated in your mother tongue gives you the edge gives you an advantage so i think there's a lot of opportunity for that and like i said i was very uh, it was very positive to hear all the positive feedback that we got at the all event, that right. people were genuinely uh, open to a, a broader conversation.
1: All right, we'll continue the conversation in a moment. It's time for your latest news headlines.
0: The Talking Point with Cathy Sasana. Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday.
1: We continue the conversation on the talking point. We're taking a look at triple BEE. What does the future look like in terms of this policy? Khotso, I'm going to come back to you. Ernest says that he got a deep sense of uh, the fact that the conversation was opening up, especially when it comes to the racial aspects of this policy. Those that have that have defended triple BEE have long argued that while well, in order to correct Um, the injustices of the past and to make up for really the lack of opportunity in particular for uh, black African people, you need a policy like BBBEE. Is that changing? What sense did you get out of the conference? And, And if it's changing, then what would it look like, especially if empowerment is still really at the heart of what is to be accomplished?
0: Kathy, I think I think an interesting question. I, I I got a sense people were saying the policy is still necessary in this country. And we need to still work very hard in transforming our society, in building an inclusive country, and building an inclusive economy. But you also had a sense that people did not want us to to have a conversation on and people wanted us to have a conversation on on what on what the next wave could look like. There was a strong sense that the next wave has to be about building a culture of interp- of entrepreneurship, and and you had a sense that people are saying we probably need to move away from these big deals of transactions that are happening. Right. You also had a, a strong sense what what Connie was saying. A strong sense that possibly your broad based trust could become a vehicle that could make us start impacting communities more directly to the value that broad based trusts have created or have created or are creating but there was a very strong sense that maybe there is a need to mobilize different funds that start supporting entrepreneurs that want to scale their businesses and people are saying you have entrepreneurs that have products in the market but but, but entrepreneurs don't have access to capital mm. to make them scale their businesses uh, and take them aggressively to market. And that was, the, that was for me what I thought people were saying, BE can't just still be around these big transactions where we don't see a direct trickle trickle down to communities. And people felt that there was a need to build an entrepreneurial culture. And for Black people to start working towards starting businesses, managing businesses, uh, running productive assets, and not just shareholder relationships that I think the second wave, the first wave and the second wave created. Sure. And there was absolutely nothing mm-hmm. wrong with that, but people felt we needed to see black people starting to create new industries, run new businesses, create new productive assets. And there was this whole sense that There was a need for us to build a new entrepreneurial culture.
1: You know, I'm I'm going to bring a a different perspective to that and say, of course, if we're talking about participation in the formal sense of the economy, where, you know, businesses are are, are set up in the formal part of the economy, then absolutely. But is it really as a result of lack of entrepreneurship or even, um, you know, entrepreneurial ingenuity? Let's take a look at the informal economy, khotso You know, if we're talking about black people needing to be more entrepreneurial, you just have to take a look at what's happening in the informal sector to realize that that already exists. But what then becomes the disconnect between those people that clearly have their creativity around how to make money, around how to fend for their f- families, into moving that to the formal part of the, of, of, of the economy?
0: Kathy, I, I I got a sense from 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 people who work with, with with small businesses and people are saying it was access to capital right you 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 have people who operate at this level um, and and who need capital to take their businesses to another level. even if you look at the informally uh, informal sector right I'm sure when people can have a uh, capital affordable uh, uh, investment capital, they would probably build and grow their businesses. And, and I got a sense from the experts who work with, with small businesses, who work with entrepreneurs, are saying what we need is to have access to capital for us to support our, our, our entrepreneurs to scale their businesses. And, and, the, and there was a sense that if we could make capital accessible, right, this would make people scale their business even beyond South Africa and take, take their businesses into the continent and, and other parts of the world. And that, for me, was what I thought people were saying. If we had to talk about the next wave of BEE, it can't just be your normal transactions that have been happening uh, during the first and second phase. But Is we sure. need to start scaling businesses of Black entrepreneurs. I mean, it was very interesting that uh, 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 Fansail made... Uh, Made the the point, and everyone was agreeing that look, the, the economy is not growing, right, and and we seem to be wanting to cut it into smaller pieces. We need to start growing the economy, and for us to create more more opportunities, and you can only do it if you start if you if you start by being conscious in building a culture of of entrepreneurs and supporting entrepreneurs because sure. they are there. You're right, they are there. They just don't have access to capital.
1: Konahali, how different then would that need to look like going into the future? Because these very same entrepreneurs that we're speaking about today that lack access to funding um, operate under an environment where um, we do have triple BEE policies at play that that are being affected and you know the irony of course is that it's largely your lending institutions your traditional lending institutions where they have the most trouble um they simply aren't willing to invest in in some of these projects and even when they when they do it is at such an an unaffordable rate um it doesn't make sense for the small business person to actually take up um that 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 that, that credit so How will that change the approach? Because there are things that can be fixed, right, without necessarily changing the policy. I'm not saying that the policy shouldn't be changed, but I'm saying even with things remaining as they are, there are ways in which lending institutions could change their behavior, their attitude towards some of these entrepreneurs we're talking about that would have an immediate effect on, 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 on what they can do.
2: Well, Cathy, thank you very much. Um, I will speak from the perspective of uh, the First Rand Empowerment Foundation and uh, really uh, say that from where we stand, um, one of the things that we think uh, we are going to need to look at uh, going forward is the regulatory environment. And by this, we mean that um, there's various legislations that really have to converge to allow and enable an environment that is conducive for provision of capital to be made available to uh, 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 primarily the small business sector. And to that extent, um, I'll give an example with our foundation that um, we are registered as a public benefit organization and to the extent that we've got um, income that uh, is available that we can use to deploy as capital um, that is um, available as an alternative Um, for small businesses uh, to tap into uh, to scale their operations such that they can be able to commercialize and uh, be able to participate meaningfully we uh, at the moment are constrained in terms of how we are able to do that because of the definitions that are contained in the pub, in the income tax act that enables uh, the public benefit uh, organizations public benefit organizations have to primarily operate as nonprofit and uh, you know in the sense of um, promoting that entrepreneurial spirit we cannot then expect people to also operate uh, in a, in a nonprofit a sense so there has to be legislation that's um that gets looked at to see how do we support these um intentions and these ambitions that we have to promote society and once um if we can be able to do that um i think we can then start seeing alternative forms of capital being made available to uh, you know those smaller uh, black entrepreneurs uh, alternative to uh, what you what you term as you know high cost of capital mm-hmm. um, and funding that is constrained from um, from 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 the financial institutions. So from our perspective, we think that there certainly is a legislative environment that can be improved to make this uh, more enabling. So,
1: so so when you talk about constraints, are you talking about constraints in terms of how much you are actually able to offer up as um as 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 support or that. You are unable to do it in the first place. so you you need to have yes. certain legislation reviewed so that you can do it.
2: yes, that we are unable to do it uh, uh, in a meaningful manner uh, with the current dispensation.
1: okay. Give me a practical example, please, uh, Gonahali. yeah. so a practical example is
2: that uh, um as um for Friff, the Federal empowerment Foundation, we are registered as a public benefit organization. And because we are, Um, And the organizations that we can support also need to be public benefit organizations. But um, entities that are registered as private companies, um, um, the opinion is that because a a proprietary entity, a PTY limited, cannot be a public benefit enterprise and therefore cannot be a beneficiary. Uh, of 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 our funding, um except for very small micro enterprises, and you know that becomes very um very constrained. So we think that um while we are focused on the transformation project, there perhaps should be some dispensation that is given to these uh, broad-based uh, uh, um, um entities and trusts that enables them to provide funding to PTY limiters, particularly those ones that uh, support some public benefit activities uh, in a sense.
1: Ernest, your view then on on how else um, we can be rethinking the approach to empowerment um, overall, because I think by and large, if we're still sitting with a situation where um, you have the majority of of the wealth in the country sitting in the hands of 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 the minority, and you very much still have a situation where, um, at least of of the face of it, um, companies are unwilling to reform. Um, they, they simply are not willing um, to, to to come to the table when it even comes to some of the. The, the targets that have been set for them to meet to show their commitment um to the transformation project in in the country so so what is your view then as 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 as, as afroforum in terms of how we go about this issue
4: hello who am I speaking to?
1: all right okay <laughs> I, I, i'm not sure who's on the line there ernest are you still on the line all right, it looks like we've lost Ernest on, on the line. Okay, let me go to Nsikana. Nsikana, you're out in Durban. Good morning. Good morning, Ms. Nsikana. Yes. Um, you know, I
5: I sometimes would like to phone in, but it, it's so time-consuming. I, I want to take you back to, I think it was last week, when you were commemorating um, Steve Jobs' death. Yes, yes, yes,
1: Nsikana. I wanted to
5: call in and and contextualize the whole situation around Steve Jobs because I've read quite a number of books about him. And it is the fact that Steve Jobs became who he was because his father was an artisan. So there were a lot of parts in the garage at his home, both him and Wozniak. They, they tinkered with quite a lot of things, and, and, and the fact they developed into the people they were. Now, it's a pity that uh, the, the person from Afri Forum is, is, is not there. Because I wanted to address this to him, that this whole thing becomes just a PR exercise, because there is no environment in, 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 in the black society for entrepreneur, entrepreneurism, because we were denied opportunities to become artisans. There was the Job Reservation Act. The Job Reservation Act denied us any opportunity to be involved in anything. And in fact, he is fortunate to be able to be, to take part in a panel on a radio station like this one. Because I couldn't phone into a, a, a wide radio station. I couldn't sit on the same table with Johan Rupert, who is my age. My father couldn't sit on the same, same table with Anton Rupert, who is Johan's father, because of apartheid. And now, without even trying to deal with that particular environment, all these people talk about entrepreneurism, and he talks, and talks about solutions. What solutions? He's not in a position to, to talk about any solution as an Africaner because
1: these it, people it, it, it destroyed us. Do, do you think that that's fair, nzigana I mean, surely every every, every every person that is a member of this society, that is a, a citizen of this country, has the right to contribute to the challenges that we're facing and to solutions to those challenges. So I don't think it's right to say that you believe that um, Ernest does not have a say in this conversation. let's,
5: let's go back into... The, the, their decision for instance to intervene in that in, in that tourism initiative yes their, their decision was solely based on the fact that on the fact that that, that that particular initiative sought to empower black tourist operatives and exclude white tourist operatives and indeed that was that was, that, that was the purpose because they know from a disadvantaged position already so I am therefore saying It is very difficult for me to see the Afri Forum, the Afri Afri Forum in particular, and I'm not talking about Africans in this country in general, but the Afri Forum, with the the stance that it takes, that it will then then be able to come with solutions for anything that has disadvantaged us.
1: But N- Nsikana... Uh, Kathy, I
3: am, you, uh, I am oh, back. The oh, 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 been oh really you're short. back on
1: the line, Ernest. Okay, great. Yeah. Great great to, great to have great you great back. To uh, I'm sure you, you, you also want an opportunity to, to respond to what Nsikana is saying. But Nsikana, mm. before I hand over to Ernest, what about the fact that as things stand, broad-based economic empowerment is clearly not working? for the majority of South Africans. So when it comes to solutions, why must those solutions only be limited to those that would be the beneficiaries of, of, of such a policy exclusively? If if, if if truly our intent is to build what we describe as, as an inclusive society. That let's look at
5: causation. You people like like to deal with situations without without looking at causation. Mm. We need to look at why the D E is not working. That's that's the first thing, mm. and we, we need to look at why the reasons why it was it was established. If if we if we are able to focus on that and begin to correct those, and it is my it is my opinion that Ernest or whatever his name is. Who was was around the table when that was initiate, initiated? Because that is not his focus. Cannot then be able to come with solutions on something that he doesn't know anything about. He doesn't know how disadvantaged we were. He doesn't know how the job reservation impacted on us and denied us opportunities to be the people we wanted to be. So this is this is this is this is my my whole opinion is based on that. He is blank. All right. And in terms of, of the suffering mm-hmm. we, we as have people have, 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 have gone through. I'm going, to
1: ask you, I'm going to ask you to pause it there. Ernest, let me give you a chance to come in.
3: Oh, hmm. well, I'm, I'm glad that uh, I get, uh, got the opportunity again. We seem to have reconnected. Um, firstly, uh, I just want to put on the table that... Uh, that I don't think there's anyone that has an incentive, whether they be black or white, to live in a country that has 40% unemployment rate. I'll even talk about the 60% youth unemployment rate. Um, I intend to stay in South Africa. I see my future and my children's future in South Africa. So I have no intention of, uh, or I have no incentive of wanting to live in a country that is failing uh, people in, in that high capacity, where 40% of people or more are unemployed. But unfortunately, at the same time, we have to move away from this toxic philosophy that you can only uplift other people by breaking down another group, or you can only uplift one group or empower one group by discriminating against another group. That's, you you can't fill a new, you can't fill an old pothole by digging a new one. You're just creating another uh, group of people that are being disadvantaged or being discriminated against, and then we can't really go to the world and tell them that we are a non-racial society. Then you have to be honest. Then you have to tell the world we are still a racialist society. Then uh, then we can have a conversation about racially discriminatory policies. But you can't have your cake and eat it too in regards of striving to be a non-racial society but at the same time saying uh, we need harsh uh, racial discrimination. And absolutely, Cathy, as you mentioned, BEE is not working. It's only created a new class of elites uh, with a different skin color. The the, the extensive polling, the latest polling after South Africans, uh, have you benefited from a BE deal? And that polling's result was only 14% that answered that poll said they have benefited from a BE deal. So it created an exclusive club, and the regular, normal South African on the street is not in it. And you can ask any. South African that you meet, you can ask them, Have you uh, been a beneficiary of BEE? And and as the data shows, uh, nine out of 10 times they will tell you, No, I've not been a beneficiary. So the policy is not working. And, And lastly, um, we have to also look at what the policy claims to want to achieve and what it is actually achieving. You have to judge a tree by its fruit. If a tree right. says that it is an orange tree, it has to produce oranges. If a policy says it is a black economic em- uh, empowerment policy, it has to empower black people, but that's not what's happening. And that's where the key is. All right. You have to look past the title of the policy and look what it is actually achieving.
1: All right, Ernest. Thanks for that response, Virgil. You're in, George. Good morning.
3: Yes, Cathy, Good morning.
6: Thank you, Cathy, I sometimes I I am disturbed uh, in, in in some of the arguments or debates that we have that we think we are all on equal footing, and we should depart from that equal footing. We are not on equal footing, mm. uh, all all races in this country, due to uh, the cruelty of apartheid and the injustice of apartheid. So let me let us just get that elephant out of the room. The the, 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 the BEE Act has been designed exactly to eradicate inequalities of the past and the injustice of apartheid. And in terms of the design of that Act, I think the, the, the intent of that Act is very good. Uh, if we need to overhaul it, we need to overhaul it. But the best platform to start to start to empower is basically on your municipal level because they've got huge chunks of budgets. Where they can make a difference, municipalities. But here's the problem. Uh, in most of the municipalities throughout South Africa, they create barriers to exclude racial groups, certain racial groups. And those barriers being where they say uh, that you don't have the relevant education and you don't have the logistic support and you don't have the resources and so on and so on and so on. So once they pre-qualify you on that and you don't get, you can't show anything of that, they throw out your tender. That's the first point. The second point and the main point is that national government needs to intervene because they cannot. At the moment, we still deal with resistance and we still deal with racism on a municipal level when it comes to supply chain management and so on. And all over, we deal with racism. So there's a a massive resistance against blacks that want to be empowered. Uh, there's resistance, and national government need to intervene to break down that resistance. And that resistance needs to be regulated by legislation. If you take the BEE Act, the BEE Act, for instance, speaks about, uh, you know, the transfer of skills. Now we must ask ourselves whether that criteria is being regulated, or are we just giving tenders to big companies because they are big. Uh, do we do we do we do we do we do oversight whether we have uh, we have uh, established JVs uh, joint ventures whether we have transferred skills and so on and so on? All right. Then I can say, I can tell you, no, it has not happened, and this is why our people are being excluded from the mainstream economy mm-hmm. because the implementation is going wrong. All right. That is. Uh, that- yeah, okay. Virgil,
1: Thank we're you. going to have to leave it there. Thanks for that point. And I think uh, very important points that you've made there around who's actually making sure that the current legislation is is being implemented, at least in the way that it, that is set out in legislation. Pastor Calvin, you're in Gabaycha. Good morning.
7: Good morning. How are you doing, Kathy?
1: I'm well, thanks, Pastor Calvin. Go for it quickly, please.
7: Kathy, the issue here is that I personally feel that triple BBBEE has actually benefited those with close proximity to the ruling ANC. And I also believe that, at least this time, for the first time, the African Forum seems to have a point that we can't be, as the black people, as the black government in this country, want to redress and address the injustices of the past by perpetuating the racial discrimination similar to that of apartheid. We know very well that apartheid was here, and therefore it has benefited the number of the few white people who are the minority, the white people who are the minority in this country. But if we are to go forward as a country and build the economy of this country, we ought to introduce an inclusive approach whereby the racial discriminatory clauses in every act of empowerment, economic empowerment, is is done away with. So the AFRI Forum here has to come to the party also in terms of saying, okay, if we are going to continue with empowerment of whatever, but which does not have the racial undertones and the racial discrimination, we as the AFRI Forum are going to occupy the front line. We need the white people to hold up to that fact that even though they may not have directly some of them being part of the architectures of apartheid, they own up to the fact that their forefathers have actually created a mess of racism in this country. But mm-hmm. if we are addressing it, let's work together, South Africans.
1: All right. But they
7: must, they must lead us. We must actually be there to say, fine, after forum, let us work together between whites and blacks in making sure that we are doing away with the injustices of the past. But we need you to not always go to court and fight things on the racial basis because you create a, a, an idea that you still want to, to hold on to the racial beneficiary or the racial privileges that you had.
1: Thank All right. You. Pastor Calvin, out in Gabaycha, we'll leave it there. We're getting plenty more calls on this particular conversation. We'll conclude it on the other side of the latest news.
0: The Talking Point with Kathy Mossasana Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday
1: Alright, we continue the conversation on The Talking Point. It's 7 after 11 o'clock. Welcome to the third and final hour of the show. We're wrapping up a conversation from the previous hour. We've been taking a look at Triple um, BEE and in particular where we are when it comes to the implementation of this policy. I think largely just the reflections, um, and reflections through a summit that was held last week. The theme, quite an interesting one, Beyond the Facade, the Bittersweet Reality of Broad-Based e- Black Economic Empowerment. Our guest, khotso Skuman, is the CEO of Kahiso Capital. Bonehali Gugushe is the head of social investing at First Rand Limited. And Ernest Sale is the head of public relations at Afri Forum I'm taking just a final contribution to uh, this conversation. Monday, you are in Johannesburg. Good morning.
7: Good morning, Cassie. Thank you very much for taking my call. Um, just a, a brief brief comment quickly. Um I think we, we, we need to acknowledge the oligopolies oligopolis in the system, um, because every industry has about three, four, five major players, which has contributed large largely to a lack of clear market penetration by um, small black businesses, etc. So so we need to really, really put that in sharp focus, that the structure of the economy is what is hindering the transformation project, that's the one thing. Um, The second thing, as a last comment, um, when you look at ESD, uh, specifically enterprise development, um, what I'd really like to put out there is that trying to deal with the market concentration, et cetera, out there, especially black business and listed companies, especially in the banking and financial services sector, which is the backbone of the economy because it touches every aspect of, of the economy, they really need to be encouraged to develop enterprises black enterprises that are like-minded in other words we need to see more uh, banking institutions more financial services in- institutions that are connected in terms of their development uh, from a listed company space um, and also a skills transfer space so we need to see those models continue because transformation is a modern imperative before it is law Right, so it's got to be a moral imperative. It's got to be then a law adhered to, and then obviously we want to to open up the economy. But you've got to deal with the structure of the economy, which is very difficult to do, which we acknowledge is a tough challenge. But you've got to look at that because if you don't do that, whether there's black industries, et cetera, there'll always be a few who break through into the market because of the existing. Um, powerful oligopolis in the system. So I just wanted to throw that in there as we continue to think through the next phase of black economic empowerment. Thank All
1: right, you. Monday. Th- thanks for that, for that contribution. Certainly, uh, well-considered views there. Uh, Fred, you are out in George. Good morning. Fred, you are out in
8: George. Good morning. Kevin, how are you?
1: Fred, I'm well, thank you. Go for it.
8: Well, you are doing a good job, Kevin. Uh, Kevin, I just want to weigh in with a few points, uh, and I don't want to beat about the push. I just want to be clear. The BEE has not failed. All those people that are talking about the BEE having failed, they are wishing that it fails. I will tell you why. Uh, in the Western Cape, we are facing problems in implementing the BEE. As contractors, I'm a contractor myself what the department of public works and with the government in western cape have done is they've avoided the BEE by creating what they are calling uh, frameworks and in a framework you would find they will put all the people in that framework all the companies for both black and white and when there is a project they pick up one company and say go and give us a quotation on this one they don't use be at all so uh, the frameworks have been created as a way of running away from BEE. And it's mainly benefiting those that were not benefiting through BEE. BE. So the government must look at it seriously, because uh, it's it, it's a fraud what is happening. Because running away, these other companies are running away from B, and organizations are running away from e, BEE by creating frameworks in which they put in companies that do not uh, qualify for BEE, and then they put them at equal footing with everybody else. So in that framework, they just uh, give projects equally to everybody that is in there without recognizing BEE. So this is how it works. One time I went to a meeting in Oslo, and it was all white. They invited all go home for a public works and Department of Transport side brief meeting. When we walked in, we were only two blacks. The gentleman that was doing the side brief meeting was a white guy, and he told us, are you sure you're not lost? And he said, no, we are not lost. Then he said to us, BE has not worked. This is why we are calling for this meeting. And these are things that are happening under our watch. And these things are happening, Kathy. Thank you so much. This is sure, my Fred,
1: we yeah, are. What an experience. Thanks for sharing that with us, um, Fred, out in George. I'll wrap it up in terms of contributions to this conversation with uh, Chili Beef in Pimville. Chili Beef, good morning.
4: Hi, Casey.
1: Yes, Chili Beef. You, I'm dear? well, thank you. Go for it briefly, please.
4: Uh, all right. Uh, Casey. I think we should look at this from a broad perspective. We. The government, I hope government uh, officials are listening, and especially in the economic uh, department. Uh, you know, we, we, we must broaden this up. In order to take over the economy, we must look at every aspect that is going to create jobs and create uh, capital ownership for, for the plex. For example, the concept of Zama-Zama, Most people, in fact, I think, if I can speak this, uh, maybe 60 million South Africans would say I'm wrong. But I'll stick to my point. The concept of a Zama-Zama is a good concept in terms of it creates jobs, puts food on the table, ends poverty, and has a multiplier effect. Because people start feeding their families and, and build things for themselves and feed their friends. Uh, if we can eliminate uh, the bad aspect of the Zamazama, like the crime and the illegal foreigners, then we can create jobs through the Zamazamas, maybe hundreds of thousands of jobs. Uh, because if we say uh, only black foreigners are, are must be out of Zamazama, it's a, it's, it's a wrong thing. Because, like most uh, uh, white foreigners, own mines in this country. Why don't we say they shouldn't own those mines and take over those mines and give them back to South Africans?
1: All right.
5: Two,
1: All right. Uh, beef? The
4: concept of of of, <laughs> of, of, of uh, let's say uh, the Lottery Fund and uh, the, the South African Development Bank and, and the uh, NYPD uh, if we can take those train. South Africans, how to run businesses? No, it's not. This is a a new era. This is not an era of looking for jobs. This is an era of starting businesses and creating jobs. All right.
1: Chili beef. We're going to have to leave it there, unfortunately. Uh, we're completely out of time, but I think you've had a chance to uh, sort of put your point across. So, Khoto, I'm going to come to you then. Reflect on some of the contributions of our listeners, and also uh, give your concluding remarks, please. Hello, thank, thank you.
0: I think for me, Kathy, two two things. I, th- I think I hope I hope Annis could also agree that the the policy remains an important policy to assist us as a country to build an inclusive society. I think all of us have to accept that the, the execution of BE has had its good and its bad. And I think we should learn from it. Right? And I think we need to start thinking about if there is another way. I We have the strong view that you can't scrap the policy when this country is still an unequal society, it just doesn't make sense. You're taking this country 10 steps backwards. And, and, and I think what we need to start thinking is how would, how would the B E policy look like in as far as execution is concerned over the next 10 or 20 years? And, and for, for us, we think, I think the, policy, the spirit of the policy is what we committed to in 1994. I don't think that goal has been achieved.
1: Thank you so much for that contribution. Konehali?
0: Um, Thank you very much, Cathy. I think I
2: I, I do tend to agree with Kotso with regards to the fact that um, the relevance of this policy um, absolutely remains and we cannot uh, think that uh, we have uh, been able to achieve uh, what it envisaged until we are experiencing a much more equal society and a much more transformed structure of our economy. Um, and then in terms of, uh, you know, I, I, I've i got three final points that I wanted to make, um, I, I think the first one is to say that um, we think that there certainly is still value in broad based trusts uh, as ownership structures and their ability to extend the economic benefits of the ownership through the social initiatives that they support. Um, And then secondly, I think we need um, certainly there to be regulatory convergence between various legislative frameworks, including the Income Tax Act, BE legislation, and even competition law for that matter, uh, so that we can really provide a much more enabling environment uh, for this level of transformation to occur. And then lastly, I think we do need to continue with the conversations uh, that really shine the spotlight on this topic so that we can be able to identify more solutions and we can be able to see uh, the transformation of our economy in a much more meaningful and sustainable manner.
1: All right, thanks for that contribution, Gonehali. Ernest, I'll wrap it up with you.
3: Kathy, well, I think firstly I would just like to uh, emphasize the fact that it's so important that uh, the conversation surrounding the future is not exclusive uh, to any group or faction or political uh, ideology or a vision of the future. This conversation needs to be open, and I'm very glad that uh, role players like Cogis or Capital and also you yourself there at SAFM are playing that role in opening the conversation, having robust and uh, critical conversations. And I think really uh, so many uh, things for the future are important, but some are critical. And the one thing is a shift away from focusing merely on job seekers and having a much bigger focus on how do we turn job seekers into job creators. And I think that's where the education lies at the very heart of the problem. That needs to be built into the education system. Then also, on a uh, on a future-based level, uh, BE, uh, cannot, uh, the focus here cannot be to punish white people for the failures of the ANC. The focus needs to be upliftment, building, expanding, creating opportunities, making the pie bigger, rather than just fighting and debating over how the pie, a shrinking economy, should be subdivided and divided up amongst the the different stakeholders. And then finally, I think something else is also of critical importance, that we all have to realize that everyone, whether they be black, white, uh, has, a, uh, has an incentive to live in a, a country and to live it, to have a future that is not characterized by a forty percent unemployment rate and a country where opportunities are not created and not, uh, a country that has a shrinking economy. We all have an incentive to live in a country with a growing economy where the unemployment rate is low and where it's not uh, such an uphill battle for ordinary South Africans to find a job or to become job creators. And I think there is a very uh, important thing that people need to realize. So, nobody needs to be, that's why it's important not to exclude anyone from this debate or exclude any group from this discussion because everyone has an incentive uh, in that future. And I'm, I'm very, again, I, I'm, I was so encouraged by the feedback uh, that the Forum got as a, a participant in the, the uh, seminar, the BE seminar that Kogiso Capital uh, hosted. Uh, the the feedback there was phenomenal, and I think there's a lot of potential for a robust critical future uh, opportunities for discussion.
1: All right, Ernest, thank you for the contribution there. Uh, Khorzo is the CEO of Caruso Capital. Uh, Konehali is the head of social investing at First Rand Limited and Ernest is the head of uh, public relations at Afroforum. Thank you all for your contributions to this particular conversation.